Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. On our program today, we're so pleased to have Mr. Eric Korb, CEO of AccreditTrust.com, as our in-studio guest. Eric, welcome to the program. Darrell, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about AccreditTrust, but before we get into uh, .com, but before we get into that, could you share with our audience a little bit about your background, your education, the highlights from your career and your experience? Sure. So I come from a long lineage of uh, entrepreneurs here. Uh, my great-grandfather came over in the 1800s, was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, my father, my uncles. Uh, so I'm always really sort of had it in my blood. Uh, I'm now working on my seventh startup, and so uh, Credit Trust is a, the outgrowth and really the culmination of a lot of uh, businesses that I've started throughout the years, starting as early as in 1981, uh, after I graduated Purdue University uh, as a, uh, in their Credit School of Management. So uh, we really have uh, had an opportunity through all those years to really understand the business side. I've been very, very fortunate to have great mentors along the way. And um, I became CEO of a credit trust because I founded it. So that goes with the territory. Seven startups. Wow. Um, what is the average lifespan of one of your startups before you spin it off, sell it? So, you know, that's an interesting question. I get that often. Um, you know, I sort of, I grew up here in Jersey on the Jersey Shore, and I sort of look at the ocean, and the ocean comes in sets of waves and odd numbers. They come in threes, fives, and sevens, and usually the biggest wave is about the seventh or ninth. Ask any surfer, they'll, they'll tell you that. So the trick is to time it, right? So typically I like to build it through the third wave, okay, which tends to show the promise of the fifth coming or the sixth or seventh down the line. So typically, you want to take a run at these for at least three to five years with the opportunity to merge this with something bigger uh, that shows the promise to that potential acquirer that the seventh or ninth wave is coming. And the idea in the first five years is to prove that out. Wow, that's the, I've never heard it explained in waves. And I was just thinking, that would be a great book for you to write, <laughs> The Seventh Wave. Yeah. Well, it'd be it. I have lots of books I can write over the course of the last 30 years of building businesses, so uh, that probably will be in there. Wonderful. And let's talk about AccreditTrust.com. Sure. Um, what is it? So AccreditTrust.com... What does um, it do? Yeah, so th I think a key word there is there's a lot of words that's, that makes up the word AccreditTrust, okay? In the center of it is credit. At the end of it is trust. And um, what we want to do is provide a way for people to take their accomplishments or, or things that they claimed about themselves from an authority. Uh, that authority implies the trust. So, for example, if you receive a degree, we want to provide you a way to digitally show that credential online so that it can be validated in real time. You see, today, the there's a technology gap going on, okay? We tend to want to always do things self-serve on the net, right? We want to be able to go on Angie's List. We want to go on eBay. We want to go on LinkedIn. We want to trust the people on the other side of that, of that screen. Uber. Right, Uber as well. Uber, matter of fact, I saw a great thing last night on uh, National 
business uh, television program about where the whole that whole business is going to be a great place for our product. For example, all those certificates of insurance for people need to be validated. If you're going to jump in a car with someone or, or use their home like in an Airbnb, you want to make sure they have proper insurance. This is the kind of thing that a credit trust is facilitating. Uh, being able to deliver a digitally signed credential that proves that claims that you have that insurance and that for the consumer can validate that in real time for themselves on net on the net and i recently read an article about uber and it said be careful rude rude passengers if you're rude to a driver uh... they're going to give you a bad rating which sure. means that you might not get a pickup or or your fare is going to be higher um, from the reverse side are you looking at how to accreditate uh, individuals? So um, I think the purpose is more, uh, that's something that would be more social in nature, okay, and driven by social change. What we're trying to do is actually work with the authorities who have the uh, power, who are empowered to provide an authorized credential. So think of somebody like a, an institution like this, Seton Hall, every time they give a diploma, every time they give a certificate, every time they give a license, all those kinds of things are the kinds of things that a credit trust, really we feel the value would be there for that recipient to have something that would be signed. A uh, social change gets done through pr pressure, right? So we can, we can do those kinds of things with ratings, but we don't know, uh, it's hard to police that, if you will. Otherwise, you'd have to sign every, every review. But I guess in one sense, uh, if, if I as an in individual and I'm applying for a position mm -hmm. and I say I have my uh, degree from Seton Hall and my MBA from Lake Forest Graduate School of Management mm -hmm. and that I attended the Oxford uh, program for readouts for executive development, uh, what you're saying is that I can, uh, those digital certificates, if you will, a credit trust will verify that I have those. Well, what a credit trust really is is the network, okay? We don't verify. We provide the, the fabric for that validation to happen. So uh, the best way I can explain it is think of yourself as using a, um, an ATM machine, right? You, it doesn't matter what brand of credit card you use, but when you put that credit card in, it gets validated by some magic behind the screen. We, we will be that magic behind the screen, but we'll be on the net. So that that validation happens, we connect the constituents and make sure that those connections are valid and that they can be um, validated in real time. So we are the network or the fabric. We're not necessarily the validator. The validator always relies on the person who issued the credential. Very nice, very nice. So um, how long have you been working at this particular uh, business, accredittrust.com? So a credit trust was really um, an outgrowth of a V8 moment that I had at my previous role as a CIO of an online college. Um, while I was at the college, I uh, experienced firsthand fraud. I mean, I had uh, st students who would apply to our college or prospects uh, who would provide us with falsified documents. And it just was appalling to me uh, because I couldn't believe, I'm pretty much an honest person, and I, I couldn't believe that students would actually, or applicants would try to falsify docs. But we've seen it happen over and over again. Scott Thompson, O'Leary, it's going on and on and on again. And now with Brian Williams, I mean, right. come on. Right, well, <laughs> well, his credentials aren't necessarily been in question, but certainly uh, his facts are. But, um, and I feel bad for him because I know that his heart is in the right place. 
um, being a Jersey guy, right? Uh, but in the end of the day, what we're talking about here is actually validating something that comes from an authority. And what we want to make sure is, is that, that the people who have the authority who are issued those credentials on the flip side know that they can't be tampered with. So that gets back to what I was saying when I was the CIO. If students were providing me with uh, potential credentials that were invalid, I wanted to ensure that my student and my institution was protected when they used the credentials I issued to the next person down the line. So that's where I got the V8 moment for a credit trust. I said, we should build a system so that when we issue credentials, that they can be, number one, without a shadow of a doubt, know where they were issued from, who they were issued to, and that we can validate or revoke them in real time. And that was really the goal. Wow. And uh, who is currently using a credit trust right now, .com? So we are working with several um, uh, entities throughout the world, as a matter of fact. We've had uh, conversations around what we're doing uh, in Istanbul. Uh, we've been in the Netherlands just last week. Uh, we've been, I'm going to be going to Spain in May and talking about this on a worldwide basis. What we're doing, Daryl, really affects everybody on the net, 2.5 million, billion, excuse me, users that could be affected by what we're doing. And I'll tell you why. What we're doing is actually trying to kill the password dead. You'll be able to use these credentials to sign into websites or into, uh, into portals without having to give away your personal private information. The idea is to use the credential as a currency to get you in. So think about here in the state of New Jersey, I've actually talked to our lieutenant governor about having um, online gambling, right? If you want to online gamble today in the state of New Jersey, number one, you have to prove that you're a resident. And number two, you have to prove that you're within the state boundaries. And number three, you've got to be 21, right? Well, why should you have to fill out a five-page form to go do that? That's none of their business. As long as I can prove that I am a state resident and that I'm over 21, I should be able to log in and gamble. It's almost like um, Bitcoin. Well, well, I understand that Bitcoin is a, is a, is a financial uh, uh, it's a financial tool that's used to say that if I have this Bitcoin, it's worth X. Well, you're close. Um, Bitcoin is a currency, right? So yes, these credentials become currency, except the value is more social in nature as opposed to actually monetary. Uh, Bitcoin, by the way, is, not, not, is known in, not just as a currency, but what they're really sitting on is what's called a blockchain. And blockchain technology is really what really the core of where we want to go. Okay, so there are many blockchain technologies out there. What is blockchain technology? Let, so, let's let's get technical okay. for a moment, because right. I, because uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a technical guy, but I do write about semantic technology. But I have not heard that particular phrase. So, so blockchain technology is the idea of a big gigantic ledger that's shared across and distributed across many many systems. And so Bitcoin is a blockchain technology whereby it's completely distributed and anonymous. So you make an insertion into the blockchain, it's digitally signed, and now it's a permanent record, okay? The same idea would be with a credential. And there are many people experimenting with this, things like uh, Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, but with what's called color coins or name coins. There's various now, all kinds of blockchain providers that are building their networks not necessarily on Bitcoin's network, but on their own private networks. So now when I sign into my iPhone 6 and I use my fingerprint, sure. 
And now I can actually purchase stuff through uh, Apple Pay, whatever sure. they call it. Yep. Um, do you foresee that working the same with what you're doing with the credit trust where someone says verify who you are and you do the retinal scan or you do the, the, the fingerprint? You nailed it on the head. Um, the trick there is though is what we're trying to do is to provide a, uh, an infrastructure that's adopted by the W3C, not a one-off solution, okay? We are starting to see, though, the promise of what can be done with Apple Pay, okay? They now have a closed market. Apple's always done a very good job of marketing their products, and they have broad appeal, but it still works only in the iPay world, okay? Another example is Geico. Geico has an on, this compu on the uh, screen, uh, insurance card, right? It's only adopted in 21 states at this point. Why? Because they built it for their network, not for a broad appeal. That's why you hear me talking about conversations in Istanbul and in, and in the Netherlands. And in, we are working with what's called the W3C, which is the governing body that approves standards. And it's a three to five year process. Uh, you would not believe, Daryl, what we're going through. But oh, we wow. have yeah. constituents, and this gets back to your maybe, now I'm coming back to your question, who's using this stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, it's still very much state of the art, okay? But the people who are interested in this are the people like Walmart, Target, the Federal Reserve Bank, um, Walgreens, all those people who are getting broken into, okay? So all of those people are doing what's called web payments online. And the whole idea of what we're doing is we're providing that identity piece that's called Know Your Customer. It's a requirement to, for doing online transactions. We are sort of wagging the tail of the dog by offering a, a piece of the technology that helps so solve the problem of identity along with a web payment. Wow, very nice. Very so that's nice. why this affects 2.5 billion people. Wow, very nice, very nice. And so uh, you say that you're going to Spain and... Um is it April, May? Uh, May. In May. Is that speaking at a particular conference? Yes. Or to it's uh, speaking at a federation uh, of education uh, people. So the markets for this is uh, education tends to be a very strong place for it because it's got uh, what we have is uh, got its roots in what's known as badging. Okay. And uh, badges are uh, a method for delivering a similar kind of credential. Uh, badges come in all shapes and sizes. We're, we're very familiar with this model, right, as Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. It's now moved into uh, an aspect of providing rewards for good performance. It's also being used to represent achievement and also skill, okay? So what we are doing is we're, we're moving this now into the workforce space, so continuing education credits, uh, doing um, your certificates of, of achievement. So, for example, um, uh, Seton Hall here is one of the best nursing schools in the country. Uh, matter of fact, my wife graduated from here. And uh, the state of New Jersey requires her to go down and take a test to get her certificate. That certificate could get signed through our system. Now, not only does she have to have that certificate to be a nurse practitioner here in the state, but she also has to have malpractice insurance, which typically would come from somebody like CNA. And she also has to have a background check and because she's a practitioner, she also has to have a license to prescribe drugs. So all four of those credentials are required before she can even walk in the door every day. And if any one of those four were to become revoked, she now becomes a liability. And, and so therefore, using this technology where we could actually link these credentials together, when she stripes in in the morning, okay, or tries to get into the pharmacy, those, all those checks could be done in real time. 
and it provides not only protection for the consumer, or the, but it also protects the institution where she works. You raise a, you raise a question in my mind regarding when she swipes in in the morning. Yeah. What if someone was to take her card and try to swipe in? Well, that's where the biometric that you talked about right. works, right? Okay. So, a uh, matter of fact, in the state of New Jersey, I think, uh, I might be wrong in this, but I think nurse practitioners have to be fingerprinted. So they use a fingerprint system to gain access to some of these, uh, these, uh, these secure areas. One of the areas in scholarly research is they always have a hard time identifying the correct author of a particular title, because sometimes mm -hmm. authors, they'll use different variations of their, of their name. Mm -hmm. And there's an organization called ORCID mm -hmm. where they establish an ID yes. for them. And it sounds pretty crude compared to what you're talking about. We were just talking about this yesterday, as a matter of fact, in our World Wide Web Consortium uh, meeting about using ORCID as a potential identifier. I'm an ORCID ambassador, just okay, in case if so you want to know go. anything about the organization oh, great. Or, or talk to the people who <laughs> run it. <laughs> uh, well, that's fantastic. And, and certainly those are the kinds of things that we're looking for to provide what I call triangulation, okay? So it's quite possible you could have an ORCID identity, you could have an identity here at Seton Hall, you get an identity at your employer, and now as a background check system, I can now triangulate, and if all of them seem to add up to the same person, it's likely it's you. Right. So, so our goal is not to be a single solution provider, it's to be able to enable all of those providers, including the ORCID network, to share the technology that we're using and implement it in such a way so that all of these credentials can be exchanged without, uh, without uh, any inter interoperability issues. I guess at some point face recognition will come into play. Yes, as a matter of fact, we're playing with some of these, to uh, some of these tools already. Um, we're using things that are actually uh, tied to your heartbeat on your smartwatches. We're, we're looking at things with fingerprints, obviously, from your phone. We we're actually have some things that you could do with, with a, uh, a screen on your face where you can actually take a, an image. Uh, there, there's controversy about all that, whether, you know, what happens when you change your hair, you take your glasses off like you and I wear glasses, uh, is it still going to be recognized? Or in some cases, some folks have some very bad plas plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I imagine that too. So I think the idea is to try to get as many points of right. validation as you can. Right. And this is a great opportunity for something like here in the state for the things like the D Department of Motor Vehicles where you go to get your driver's license, you have to come with your six points of identity. So why wouldn't you just use that opportunity to also proof yourself? And it, this could provide revenue for the state, and it provides now an opportunity to be an identity provider. The question will be is, will the state accept that responsibility of being a, an, acting as an identity provider for you? Right. You know, earlier, before we went on, on the air, you had talked about how the currently the driver's license is not uh, a, a valid ID? I mean, not, it's not a valid ID. But it's not a legal ID. It's not a legal ID. Right. Could, could, could you explain yeah. our audience yeah. a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, so your driver's license is just a claim. It claims that you have the right to drive a motor vehicle based on the class on the, ca on the card uh, in the state. Okay, and there's reciprocity, right? In various states, that driver's license would be accepted. But as a form of identity, it's, it's a, actually a social acceptance. It's not necessarily a legal uh, uh, acceptance of a form of ID, whereas a passport is identity. So security number is not identity, okay? It was never designed to be an identity uh, provider. 
So there, and that's why, as a matter of fact, social security numbers are predictable. I mean, they, the first three numbers and middle numbers mean something. So, so that, that's why it's not a good form of ID. And so, um, well, the, okay, I, but yeah. okay. So now in Hollywood, when they do the movies, yep. you find people getting these fake passports. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, because, but I just wonder. I mean, if if a passport is a uh, a legal ID, how are people able to manipulate the system and to create these these false passports? Well, there's always somebody who's can beat the system, right? So um, whether it's uh, uh, pur- purposeful for bad causes or whether it's purposeful for, for a shadow of an identity because you are a celebrity or something, that's a different case. But would this um, digital certification kind of uh, put a fence around that where they could not do that? That's, that's the objective, is to not allow a document to be falsified. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just like CLEAR today at some of the airports are being Is used, it back? I was, I, 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 was one of, I was one of the first <laughs> clear people. <laughs> you know, I never uh, trunched down the money to have it done, uh, but I, there are various kinds of credentials that are out there. I mean, you know, the whole federal government has its own credentialing system in itself. Uh, uh, so does the military. Uh, and it's funny, believe it or not, between military arms, their credentials do not validate to each other. They actually have to get a physical uh, credential issued every time. So um, to cross uh, between uh, armed forces. So it's, it, it's a very much a walled garden. Something just hit me. Uh, some years ago, I was a volunteer police officer. And then when I moved here to New Jersey, uh, I wanted to make sure that I went to the local police station and made sure that I was legal with, right. with, with my firearms. And it, it just hits me that this digital certification can really help solve a huge problem that we have in this country. Are, are, are you pursuing that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that we think about, too, uh, is by having that kind of credential, the exchange of that information between uh, all the states would be so much easier because we have a standardized method. Now, there are standards bodies within all these. There's, there's in the driver's license world. There's in the student uh, teaching credential world. There's in the transcript world. They have these bodies, but nothing has really been done in acceptance in a worldwide web way and really work the way the modern web works today, okay? And that's what we're trying to build. Um, so that, that, that's, that's the challenge, and it's still a computer science problem. We're still working through some of the issues. And the issue, for example, is um, if I use the metaphor quite a bit, you know, what's your identity? How do you prove your identity? Well, you take out your wallet. Most gentlemen have one wallet, right? And then you open it up and you show your driver's license. Well, what if you turned around, somebody put their driver's license in your wallet? Now there'd be a little bit of a question, right? So how do you sort of sew those things together in such a way that they are linked, right? And women actually have a bigger problem, right? They have multiple pocketbooks, right? And they move their, their purses from pocketbook to pocketbook. So how do you solve the same metaphorical problem where I have an identity in one place and I have my credentials, but now I'm no longer working at that identity provider where I, let's say, where I work, and I want to take those credentials and move it into another place. That's the computer science problem that we're working on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Eric Kaur, the CEO of AccreditTrust.com, and we're talking about digital certificates and security. But I, I, this conversation has been fascinating, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about how you have done so. What are the keys to your success as being a leader 
in seven startups? So I think it's, uh, you know, they often say entrepreneurs are risk takers. Um, I've always considered myself on the bleeding edge of technology. And, um, you know, I've been blessed with some good vision there. Um, I was the guy who invented webinar. Uh, the, the I had a trademark on it back in 1997. And um, I saw the whole online meeting space coming. Um, and I think the idea is just to, to follow your hunch uh, is a lot of it. And, and typically, I feel is that if, the, and this goes with a lot of people talk about investing, right? Invest in things that you know about. And so it's sort of the same thing with me. I, I invest, number one, in the number, resor number one resource. That's me. And I also uh, invest in things that I feel good about. I'm very passionate, as you can hear, about this topic, okay? It means a lot to me. And I think if you keep driving that and as you continue to talk to people about it and they get it, it continues to give you validation that you're down the right, going down the right path. I think that's very important. I'm always pitching it, always pitching it and trying to get that feedback. Something you said earlier when we were talking offline, I said, mm -hmm. oh, we got to get this on mm -hmm. tape. And you talked about why... Uh, some companies are more successful than other companies. And you talked about focus. Mm -hmm. Can you share with our entrepreneurs who are out there about focus and, and what they need to really focus on as they build their business? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the books I read from Al Rise, which is Focus, that the name Focus uh, really hit home with me. And I think what happens is, is that we tend to sometimes look a little bit too wide, okay? And what happens is we get too general and we start to lose our eye on the ball. So right now we're laser focused on trying to get our standard moving forward. We're trying to work with the people as high up in the food chain of issuing credentials as, as we possibly can. It'd be very easy for us to sort of take the low hanging fruit, which is to provide just a, um, a very simple credentialing system. But there's plenty of people out there already doing that, which is great for the whole industry. So I think it's very important that we keep our eye on the ball and be very laser focused on what we're going to do. Uh, you know, to, and we've seen it happen where people start to go like Boston Chicken used to be Boston Chicken. Now it's Boston Market, and they also went bankrupt. Okay, and, and they closed down a lot of stores. So I think that's a perfect example when somebody had a, a strength hole on a market and lost focus on what they were doing. You know, you had talked about the example of Walmart, where you can't find one in New York City. Mm -hmm. But, of course, when you go outside of New York City, mm -hmm. you can find it. Share with us the, that analogy that you had there. Yeah, I, I think, again, another point that came out of the book, Focus, is that it talks about being a specialist. And, and a specialist will always tend to outrun the generalist. And that's why you won't see a Walmart, or typically in, in, a, in a very highly densely populated area like New York City, because if you're looking for a particular type of clothing or a particular style, there are thousands of options in New York City who are specialists who can provide you that specialized service. But if you're out in a rural area where your, your, your options are limited, a Walmart has a perfect opportunity to serve you. So I think that it's important that you understand where you are, okay, and when you need to be the broad deliverable uh, uh, of services and where you don't. And it's, it's actually a testimonial to Macy's and how they've stayed on board as that department store for so long. And uh, we still see things like Nordstrom's and, and, uh, and a Target, but they tend to not be, um, the, the Walmarts and the Targets tend to be more in the rural areas, not in the, in the metropolitan areas. That's and you think about it in sports, right? You, you, if you're thinking about the Olympics, uh, the 
uh, decathlon champ isn't the fastest sprinter, right? But the decathlon is the journalist, right? And there and there's a place for him. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, this is this has been very good. We are uh, running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to not only entrepreneurs but people who run their own business mm-hmm. in regards to how they can be better leaders uh, within their own environment? Well, I think it's important to understand that you have to uh, be honest with yourself and know what your talents are. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to be surrounded by very smart people. And I always try to surround smarter people than me, around me. And I think the goal is, is that I've told everyone who's ever worked with me, and I use that word with, not for, uh, is that um, your goal is to, is to get out in front of me, okay? Because I'm gonna be running really hard and really fast, but when you're out there leading me, is when I know we've been successful because now you're internalizing this and then you're, you're not just being me, you're being yourself and you're helping us. What are you doing to drive this company forward, okay? And I think it's also important, I talk a lot uh, when I go back to Purdue and speak about entrepreneurs, that it's very important that you have a balanced team, right? When, when you think about sports, I'm very sports-minded, you can't hire, you can't recruit all quarterbacks there'd be nobody to throw to, okay? You can't have all centers on the basketball team. There'd be nobody to, to be passing to. So it's very important that you have that balance and understand where you are on your bench. Well, I tell you, Eric, this has been a very fast 29 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Eric Corp, who is the CEO of AccreditTrust.com. Eric, thank you for coming on the program. Darrell, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to doing it again sometime. Look forward to it as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great Saturday, and remember, leadership begins with you.